Well, thanks to Hannah for leading us in our service here this evening. And today, it's the, it's the first Sunday in May of 2020, the 3rd of May, and we come tonight, this evening, to our final message in our series through the epistle of St. Paul the Apostle to the Church at Colossae, or as we call it here, uh, Colossians. And we've spent, I don't know if you realize this, we've spent now half a year in this little letter of four chapters. We began on October the 20th uh, last year, and we're finishing this evening with our 24th message. We took a couple of Sundays off for the Christmas break and whatnot, but basically as a congregation, we've spent this last half year in this little letter to the Colossians from Paul. And I look back over the sermon, the preaching plan, the service plan this week, and I had the uh, privilege and pleasure of starting us out on that journey, on our journey through this little book um, last year in October. And it wasn't necessarily planned this way, but as it's come to turn out, come to be, I now have the privilege of closing the book on this little series. And in the middle, we've heard such um, stirring messages, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the book of Colossians. And it's been a really uh, great journey. And I've wrestled with what to say this evening in this message. And I have to say that... um, I personally, I have a special love for this letter to the Colossians. Um, Colossae, the city and the church at Colossae, was the, the smallest and the most insignificant of the churches and cities that Paul wrote to. Far smaller and far more insignificant than Rome or Corinth or Thessalonica or Ephesus, all large and important cities at the time and with large and important churches. Colossae was a small town with a small church that Paul hadn't even been to. And it's a letter in our New Testaments that's often been forgotten and, and neglected and put, put to one side in favor of the, the great Paul, Pauline classics, the classics from the Apostle Paul, Romans, 1 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, and even Philippians. But if you've been with us for our journey now, from October now through till this first Sunday in May, you'll know that it is a letter, small though it is, and perhaps insignificant and forgotten though it is, that is full of the most profound theology, that is deep thinking about the nature of who God is and who Jesus Christ is. Not only theology proper about God and Christ, but also a theology of our redemption, our reconciliation with God and of the reality of the church living under the lordship of Christ in the kingdom of God. And it's a letter that not only delves deep into theology, but it's a letter that lays out, and that's what we've been focusing on these last 10 or so weeks, it lays out a clear and sweeping view of the reality of Christ for all of our lives. And I have to say, I'm sad that we're closing the book on this little letter today. Now, the fact that we're taking one more evening uh, to look at this book, to wrap up Colossians, is, it's not because I was sad and I was like, I, I can't let this letter go. I've got to stay in this letter. I've got to keep going, push it out. Um, it's just fallen that way with the way the, the next series has been planned. But I am sad that we're closing uh, the book on this little letter today. It was the first letter, just personally in my life, this was the first letter that I had the privilege of preaching through as a pastor uh, here at Calvary Freiburg 
some four years ago. And I think for that reason alone, it'll perhaps retain a special place in my heart and mind uh, forever and certainly for the future. And I do, as, as I close the book on it this evening, I do look forward to the day that I'll be able to open it up again, whether here or in some other place. It really is a fantastic little letter. It is short and sweet, and yet it is so full of profound truth and profound practical reality. Well, I've entitled the message this evening, Colossians Remixed. Um, I'm not the best with titles, but that's the one I came up, for, up, came up with. And so what I want to try and do uh, this evening is give you a, a remix that is condensed, of course, as a wrap-up of our time together in this letter. In music, we talk about variations on a theme, and we've had a theme as we've gone through the book of Colossians, and I want to give you a little one variation on that, one remix of that uh, for a final time. And so this won't be an expositional message in that sense that we, where we draw out the meaning of the text verse by verse, section by section, chapter by chapter, but rather I want to try and share the, the thrust and the heart of this letter in, in one go to give you a, a last boost of Colossians as we leave it behind and head into our new series next Sunday. And so if you've paid careful attention as we went through chapter 3, it will probably come as no surprise to you that I've settled on a text from chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, as the key to this remix. Let me read it with you now. This is chapter 2 of Colossians, verses 6 and 7. There we read, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord... Continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. I want you to think of these two little verses as not only the key, musically speaking, the key in which this remix is kind of written today, but they're also the hinge of the letter. They're the turning point in the letter. They, They look back. That first part of verse 6, so then, just as you have received in the past, they look back at the reality of the Lordship of Christ. You have received Christ Jesus as Lord. But they also, in terms of a turning point or a hinge, they look forward at what this reality of the Lordship of Christ means for all of our lives. Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, now continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. So this is the the key or the hinge, I believe, to this letter. This is where we move from the first section of the letter, which is the, um, as we would say, the indicative, the the statement about reality that Paul makes in chapter 1 and in the first part of chapter 2, namely the reality that Christ is Lord. And we're going to take a look at that in a moment. And where he moves from that indicative, this is how reality is, to the imperative, to the exhortation, encouragement, command form. In light of this reality, how then should you live? Well, let me unfold it for you. We want to look at that a little bit this evening as well. So, without further ado, and for a final time, let's dive into Colossians. And I've entitled this first point, Christ Restoring All. 
which is the subtitle for our series here, Christ Restoring All. Paul writes here in Colossians 2.6 and the first part of the verse, part A, So then, just as you Colossians, and I want to include us in this message tonight as much as possible, just as you here at Calvary at Church at Five, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord. This is... Let's put our thinking uh, caps on as we as we go through this point this evening. This is the foundation for Paul. This little statement is the foundation for all of Paul's ministry as an apostle. All his exertions, all his hard work, all his labors, all his travels, all his church planting, all his prayer. It rests on the reality that Christ Jesus is Lord. And this is a, a theological truth about the nature of Jesus Christ. It's also a cosmological truth about the nature of reality in this present age of the world and of the universe. And it's a political uh, truth. It makes a claim about where true authority and kingship lies in this age. And this is the reality on which Paul's later encouragement, which we'll get to a little later this evening, is based. It's based on this being true, namely that Jesus Christ is Lord. And this little statement, Jesus Christ is Lord, this is really the essence. When you when you really get down to the basic core ingredient of what Paul's gospel is, the good news that Paul preaches, he says it is this claim and message about Jesus Christ, as he says in 2 Corinthians 4 5, for what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. That's what I preach, Paul says. That's my message and ourselves, that is he himself and his ministry team that we've been looking at the last two weeks, as your servants for Jesus' sake, for his sake. That's Paul's gospel. What I preach is not myself, but Christ Jesus as Lord. This little statement is the evangelion, or the gospel, or the good news. And it is, it's a short statement, but it is a massive claim. Namely, in saying that Jesus Christ is Lord, Jesus of Nazareth is Lord, Paul is saying the world has a new king, a new ruler, a new lord. That Caesar, the Roman emperor, is not lord, but that the true king, the true lord, is Israel's Messiah, Jesus. In some sense, it's ironic that Pontius Pilate, who the Roman governor of Judea, who put Jesus to death, became the first evangelist when he had a sign erected above Jesus' head on the cross in Latin, Greek, and Hebrew, proclaiming, this is the king of the Jews. He meant it as mockery, this pathetic figure dying on a cross, but it was in in fact reality. Jesus Christ truly is the king of the Jews, and if he is the king of the Jews, then he fulfills all the Old Testament prophecies which say that the king of Israel, the king of Jews, of the Jews will one day be known as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the King of all the earth. And the Lordship of Jesus Christ, how is it that this Jesus becomes this Lord, becomes Israel's Messiah? Jesus' Lordship, his authority over all human beings, over all the world, is anchored in his life, death and resurrection from the dead. Listen to how Paul puts this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says in verse 1, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. 
for what I received. This is the this is now the heart of the gospel. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, that he appeared to Peter and then to the Twelve. And, Paul says in Philippians 2, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee including Caesar's, should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's Paul's gospel. Jesus Christ is Lord and he is Lord on account of his life, death and glorious resurrection from the dead. And this message, that's what an evangelion, a gospel was, in the ancient world. It was good news of new rulership or new kingship. And this message, this gospel of Jesus' kingship and Jesus' rulership is unlike any other in the ancient world because unlike Caesar Augustus, for whom there was also an evangelion, a gospel put out, and it was said of him that he was the son of God and he was the peace bringer, that he was indeed the saviour of the world. Jesus makes counterclaims and Paul makes those claims on behalf of Jesus. And unlike Caesar Augustus and all the other Roman emperors, Jesus is a king and Lord who, who becomes a suffering servant in order to save his people out of love, not to impose tyranny on them from above. And he gives his people hope for the future. And that's why when Paul comes to speak of this gospel coming to Colossae in chapter 1, he says in verses 6 and 7 that this gospel, because it's a message of love and of hope, it is bearing fruit amongst the Colossians. It's changing lives by the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus sends. And Paul then goes on to emphasize Here in Colossians, and this is what makes Colossians unique amongst the letters of Paul in the New Testament, and one reason why we shouldn't neglect it and we shouldn't forget it, and this is an important lesson that we have to take from it as we conclude the letter today. Paul emphasizes a particular aspect of this truth, this reality that Jesus Christ is Lord. Namely that not only is Jesus Christ Lord, because of his life, death and resurrection, his conquering of death, his conquering of the devil in his resurrection from the dead. But Jesus Christ is also supremely worthy and worthy of this lordship. He is, Paul says, supreme in creation. That is the the first, the preeminent one in all creation, in all redemption, and in his new people, the church. And Paul says, Paul lays out this truth in these glorious verses in Colossians chapter 1, 15 through 20, and I want to read them with you because I want these verses, if by some way, to stick out in your mind as we leave this letter behind. There Paul writes, The Son, that is Jesus Christ, the Lord, is the image of, of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. 
For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus is supreme. He he is worthy here because he is both truly man and truly God. In him dwells the fullness of God. Jesus is not merely a prophet sent of God in order to become king, like some of the patterns of the Messiah in the Old Testament, like King David or King Solomon, but rather in Jesus dwells the very fullness of God. Jesus is truly man and truly God. And therefore, he is able to reconcile to himself all things through his bloodshed on the cross. This is the truth This is the foundation of Paul's gospel, the foundation of Paul's ministry. And he says here then in our key text, in our hinge text this evening, that these Colossians have received this truth. They have not only received this truth, they've not only acknowledged this to be true, in doing so they've received Christ Jesus as Lord. And that means, and again I want to bring us in here as Christians here in Freiburg at Calvary at Church at Five right now. And I pray that this be true of all of us who hear this message. But this is, if we, before we go forward and look at what this means for all of our lives, there is a, this is a hinge, this is a turning point. There needs to be a change in all of our lives. And this change Paul describes here as receiving Christ Jesus as Lord. And he is thankful and confident and full of joy as he writes the Colossians because he hears from Epaphras, he hears about their faith and their love. He hears that they have indeed received Christ Jesus as Lord. They have taken on this reality and made it their own, submitted to it. Receiving Christ Jesus as Lord That means acknowledging Jesus' lordship, that he truly is the Lord of lords, the King of kings, the rightful king of this world, that his authority is true and good and right. It means, as we just read a few moments ago, being reconciled to him, no longer at enmity with him, but instead enjoying peace with him. That peace comes through his having paid the penalty for our sin and rebellion on the cross. Receiving Christ Jesus as Lord means that we now become his servants. Jesus as Lord means that we, he is the master whom we serve and we are therefore his servants. But we are altogether servants of a different kind than those who served the Roman empress. We are servants who are empowered by this message itself through the Holy Spirit to be joined into the church that is the body of Christ, into a new humanity, a new people. And we are set upon a trajectory, upon a 
a track of a course of living out our lives under his authority and his lordship in, in, in the sphere of reality that is his kingdom. And this receiving of Christ Jesus as Lord, Paul says here, as he does in all his letters, happens by faith. When we trust in, that is, rely on the truth of this message that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's how we, that's what faith means. We hear the message that Jesus Christ is Lord and as we trust in it, as we decide that we will build our lives on this being true and this being a faithful reflection of reality, that is faith in the gospel. It happens by faith and by baptism. Baptism signifying that we are united with Christ. Christ is not merely our Lord in a very distant sense, but rather, as I said before, he is a Lord unlike the Roman emperors. He is one who came as a suffering servant out of love for his people. And in baptism, we are united with him. And listen to how Paul puts it here in Colossians 2, verse 11 and 12. He says, your whole self ruled by the flesh, that is our sinful nature, was put off. This is the turning point we're talking about, the change. It's put off when you were circumcised by Christ. How did that happen? Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him, here it is, through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. That is how we receive Christ Jesus as Lord, by faith and by baptism trusting in the reality of his lordship and his authority, acknowledging it, being reconciled to him, being brought into peace with him, becoming joyfully his servant and being empowered by the Holy Spirit, joined together with all others in the church in order to set out upon a course, a trajectory of living all of the life we now have under his lordship and for his glory. And for us as Gentiles, and this is another point that Paul makes here in Colossians, for us as Gentiles, we were those who were separated from Christ. We were excluded from citizenship in God's old covenant people, Israel. We were foreigners. That means we knew nothing about. We had no part in the covenants of the promise in the Old Testament. We were without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, we who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And that's what Paul writes about here in verse 27 of chapter 1. He says, this this again lies in the truth, this first point that Christ is restoring all, not just Israel, not just the old covenant people, but rather Christ as the supreme one, the one in whom the fullness of God dwells and also the fullness of humanity, who is the supreme one in creation, redemption in the church, he is restoring all. And that's what brings us hope. And Paul writes here in Colossians 1.27, To them, that is to us, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, the mystery of reconciliation, the mystery of salvation, which is Christ in you or Christ in us, the hope of glory. So that's the foundation upon which Paul's ministry stands and which where he ministered in all the churches. This was the message he preached, that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that is the, the argument that Paul lays out or the, 
the, the beauty and the glory that Paul lays out here in this first part of Colossians up through 2, 6 and 7. That Christ is restoring all because Jesus Christ is Lord. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. On the basis of this massive reality that Jesus Christ is Lord, supremely worthy, who is restoring all things, Paul now says in in light of that, in light of the fact that this is real and that you've received him and that you've accepted this, now I want you to continue to live your lives in him, that is in his sphere of reality, in the kingdom of God and his authority, in him. What we can say, I've titled this second point this evening, is that all of Christ is given to us for all of life. That is the, that is the, the, the language that we hear again and again in Colossians. It is a, um, an exclusive language, a, a supreme language. It's not just Christ is somewhat Lord or over these areas Lord or he's done this, he's reconciled these things, but we hear that Christ is Lord of all. He's reconciling all things and therefore all of Christ is given to us for all of life, for all of our lives fall under his lordship, all of Christ for all of life. We can live life because we have been made alive in Christ. That's what Paul says here in Colossians 2.13, God made you alive with Christ. And Paul begins this exhortation that we should continue to live our lives in Christ by showing us how the lordship of Christ has freed us from slavery to other powers and lords. This is the reality for us when we are in Christ. We are freed from slavery and bondage to all other powers and all other lords, all other authorities. We can live life in Christ here, as Paul says in chapter 1, 13 and 14, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. We're out of the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So he's rescued us from darkness. He's forgiven us all our sins. We are no longer enslaved to the dominion of darkness. That is the dominion of the evil one. Nor are we enslaved to the power of sin. He has disarmed the powers and authorities, Paul says here in chapter 2, triumphing over them by the cross. Chapter 2, verse 15. He has freed us from the elemental spiritual forces or philosophies or principles of this world. Chapter 2, verse 20. The Lordship of Christ, living with Christ as Lord, means that we are free from sin from the power of sin dominating us, from darkness, from spiritual powers and authorities, that is demonic power, but also from false philosophies and from false religion. In Christ, Paul says here in chapter 2, verse 19, we are, when we are in Christ, we are connected as part of the body with Christ as the head. We're connected to Christ, to the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. The power, the tools, the resources 
for us continuing in this course and this trajectory of living our lives in him comes from Christ himself. When we are connected to him, God causes us to grow. And we are now in the sphere of Christ and his lordship, his kingdom, and all of who he is will now begin to work itself out in all of who we are in our lives. Christ empowers us. This is what we want to take away from this letter to the Colossians. When we are in Christ, when we acknowledge his lordship, it is Christ himself who empowers us through the gospel and through the Holy Spirit to live this life in him. And it's a life that is characterized by virtue. Let me quote from chapter 1, verses 9 through 12. Paul's prayer there is, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit that Christ gives, through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Why? So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord Jesus and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, giving joyful thanks to the Father. Again and again we see it's all of Christ for all of life, and that he himself empowers us for this life. And so now, with great confidence and joy in the power of the message about Christ, the power of the gospel itself, and the power of the Holy Spirit, whom Christ sends with that gospel, Paul now, from chapter 3, begins working out what the lordship of Christ looks like in all our lives beginning with lives of virtue and Christian character from chapter 3, verse 5 to 10. I want to strengthen our, our faith and our confidence in this power. What Paul is saying here is that in Christ we truly have the resources and the strength and the power to live different lives. That those who live under the Lordship of Christ, their lives look different. He says here in verse 5, therefore when we read these verses, where he says in verse 5, put to death therefore whatever belongs to your earthly nature. It's because you're in this new sphere of the Lordship of Christ that now we are to put to death things that no longer belong here, that do not fit with the Lordship of Jesus Christ, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. You used to walk in these ways, the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language. Do not lie to each other, since you've taken off your old self and have put on the new self, which is being renewed by the power of Jesus Christ through the Spirit, in knowledge, in the image of its creator, that image, of course, Jesus Christ. That's what we read in chapter 1. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. 
the resources for doing this. When we read these verses, we have to understand Paul is not calling us to do this in and of our own strength. He's calling us to do this as those who have received Christ Jesus as Lord and who are therefore being empowered by his gospel and by the Holy Spirit that Jesus sends. Not only does he show how the Lordship of Christ works out for us individually, but also for us in the body of Christ. We read it a few moments ago and we dwelt there as we went through the letter. It's worth repeating here. We are made into the body of Christ. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, Colossians 3.11, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. When we come together in the Lordship of Christ, it's no longer other things that are the defining factors of who we are. It's the fact that we are in Christ, in this sphere of his Lordship, having been united to him through baptism and through faith. This is what defines us. This is what marks us out. We are servants of the Lord Christ. And therefore, when we come together in the body, it is no longer our ethnic identity or whether we're slaves or free in our world or our society now or barbarians, or Scythians, but rather it's Christ. He is the defining element, the defining marker of who we are, and he is all for us, and he is in all. Again, all of life, all of Christ, for all of life. And then we saw how Paul went on to unfold this, that this, 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 this truth rolls on like a river, collecting all parts of our lives, not only the church when it's gathered together, but also the household, relationships like that of wife and husband, children and parents, masters and slaves. And it even rolls on to affect our relationship with those who are as yet outside this church, outside the sphere of the Lordship of Jesus Christ, that we should Again, trusting in that power that comes through the Holy Spirit, be devoting ourselves to prayer, making the most of every opportunity. This is again where the gospel is growing and bearing fruit. I want to draw this message to a close now. And again, I'm sad to be saying goodbye to this letter to the Colossians. I want to put a a final spin on it in this remix and just leave you with four very brief thoughts this evening. We've seen, and, and if you just want to think about this as we leave Colossians behind, we've seen this text, Colossians 2, 6 and 7, as the key and the hinge. Just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, that is the indicative, the reality That is the nature of Paul's gospel, the truth that he proclaims, the foundation for every piece of ministry that he does. And it is a a reality that has come about because Jesus Christ has lived, has died and has risen from the dead. And in that death and resurrection, he has reconciled all things to himself. He is now the rightful ruler, authority, king of this world. And the proper response to that is to acknowledge that, to come underneath his lordship, It is a gentle yoke that when we become the Lord's servants, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to live out a life that acknowledges Jesus as Lord. And of course, that is done in love because he first loved us. That is the reality. And then what we've seen is the imperative, 
what should then happen is that this, as we as as the gospel comes to us, as we receive it, as we are, as we go through that turning point through baptism and faith, where we become a Christian, where we live, where we acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord, that is going to work itself out for us in all areas of our life, and that is the call, that is the the encouragement, but also the exhortation for all of us as we leave this letter behind. We need to place all of our lives under the Lordship of Christ, or to put it a, way, a different way, uh, using the title of this point, we need to receive all of Christ for all of our lives. There's no area of our lives, of our minds, of our relationships, any sphere of our life that lies outside his lordship. But there's also no area of our minds, our lives, any sphere of our life that lies outside of the resources through his Holy Spirit to be transformed, to live according to his lordship. Let me leave you now with this remix very briefly. I want to give you four aspects that we can you know, put in now as variations on a theme to take with us to think about as we leave the letter of Colossians behind. Firstly, political. I want us to think about the fact that Paul's claim here that Jesus Christ is Lord is a political claim. Paul is saying that our allegiance, our obedience to Jesus Christ is an allegiance and obedience that goes above all others. As the apostles showed us in the book of Acts, we, would, we should much rather obey God than men. When it comes down to it, our allegiance is not to any civil government or civil authority here. Our allegiance is to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. And that truth is laid out so clearly here in Colossians that Jesus is the supreme one. He is the preeminent one. He is the firstborn. He is supreme in every way. Let us take this claim, this political claim seriously that Jesus Christ is Lord. Then I want to encourage you now with this theme of what I'm going to call way of life, way of life. I think sometimes as Christians, particularly in free churches, we tend to reduce um, Christianity or or we tend to reduce the gospel as a almost a get out of jail free card. That when it comes down to it, the main aim is that we don't want to go to hell and therefore we need to get saved. But once we've got saved, then we can pretty much live as we always have as we used to. We can just keep going along as normal. But what the letter to the Colossians reveals is that accepting the political statement and indeed the gospel that Jesus Christ is Lord is going to lead to a changed way of life. There is an entire way of life which goes along with living in in light of the reality of Jesus Christ as Lord. So let's take this away from Colossians. Let's Let's take this key, this theme out of this remix today, that as we read through Colossians, we are being called that when we really accept Jesus, when we really become a Christian, when we really are baptized and express faith in Jesus and acknowledge he is Lord, that we are called to a way of life, all of our life, will be affected by the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Related, let me give you this third key, as it it were, for this remix. And I've mentioned it once a few moments ago, that is virtue. And this fits with way of life, because as we live out this way of life, not only time-wise, day by day, month by month, year by year, as we are Christians, servants of the Lord, but also in terms of relationships as we live out this reality, not only day by day, month by month, year by year, but also 
in our families, in our churches, in our friendships, in our work environments. As we live out this way of life, we are to cultivate virtue. That is what chapter 3, the beginning of chapter 3, is about. That is about putting on the new self, as Paul says here in verse 9 and 10. He says, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices, that is the things that kind of pertain to that, that characterize that, you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in the new, uh, sorry, which is being, you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge of, in the image of its creator. Therefore, verse 12, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I want us to take away from this letter to the Colossians, we are called to cultivate virtue, that we will see these things become second nature. Cultivating virtue really just means uh, training uh, the muscle of uh, practice in the spiritual life so that it becomes second nature to us in relying on the Holy Spirit that we have compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, that we bear with each other and forgive each other, and that we put on love, which binds all these things together in perfect unity. Love, of course, the supreme virtue. That's the third thing. So let's, the remix here, number one, let's let's um, realize that Jesus' claim to lordship and Paul's preaching of that is a political claim. Let's realize that we're called under the Lordship of Christ to a way of life, not merely a moment where we get saved and then that's it, everything goes on as normal. That way of life will lead to virtue, that we are truly changed in our character, in who we are, and therefore how we react and respond and behave on a day-to-day basis. And finally, let me give you the aspect of history, of, well, the way Paul puts it in our text for this evening is that we are to be rooted in Christ, strengthened in the faith that you were taught and therefore overflowing with thankfulness. We have to understand that we are, as Christians, and this is what Paul argues here, there's no other letter really that, that describes so well that we, as Christians we are part of the body of Christ, the, the one body of Christ. It's not about us and our own local church and our time, but that we are part of the one body of Christ that stretches throughout history throughout time, in all nations. And that body of Christ is grounded on the reality that that Christ is Lord, the faith that we have been taught right from the beginning. So, let me sum it up now. Let me leave you with this as both an encouragement and exhortation. Colossians 2, 6 and 7. So then, Church at 5, Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Let me finish now by praying for us that that might be true, and then I'll leave you for a final time with that great blessing from Colossians chapter 2. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for all those here at Calvary Freiburg and at Church at Five who have truly received Christ Jesus as Lord.
I thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit in bestowing the gift of faith. And Lord, I pray for those who hear this message or who may uh, be a part in one sense of our community, but who have not experienced, not gone through that turning point of finally coming to the realization that this claim is true, that Jesus Christ really is Lord and who need to respond in faith and in baptism to visibly become servants of Christ Jesus and members of his church. Father, I pray that you, through your Holy Spirit and through the gospel that Paul preached and and the gospel we preach here, that you would reach those with the reality that Jesus Christ is Lord. Father, I pray also for all of us who have received Jesus Christ as Lord, that you, by your Holy Spirit, as Paul prayed in chapter 1, would give us all wisdom and understanding that we might perceive this reality, that we, that we might uh, seep down deep into us. That you would give us understanding and perception, comprehension of what this truth means for us, each of us individually, wherever we might be in our lives, and all of us together as this congregation. It's our prayer Jesus, through your Holy Spirit, that we be together as a congregation, as a church, rooted and built up in you, recognizing that in you there are all the resources we need for the spiritual life. I pray that as a congregation we would grow in that truth that we have all of you, Lord Jesus Christ, for all of our lives. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would strengthen us in the faith that we have been taught and that you would help us to be overflowing with thankfulness. Amen. Well, let me bless you now, as I say, a final time with this blessing from Colossians 2, verses 2 and 3. May you be encouraged in heart and united in love, that you may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that you may know the mystery of God, namely Jesus Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Amen. Be blessed. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. And I'll see you again soon.